you know you're a woman in surveying when you come across another female surveyor and get a little bit excited. You're not alone, my friend. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub with me, Marion Ellis. And today I've got another Women in Surveying special episode for you. I've so enjoyed recording these and catching up with some amazing female surveyors around the world. So welcome to another Women in Surveying podcast. And I'm really excited about this one because I'm speaking to Joanna and Clementine. Hello, both. Hello, thank you for having us. And um, we were just saying as we were just getting ourselves set up that you two are in a lovely warm part of the world and I am absolutely freezing. <laughs> and we were, a bit, we were a bit late getting started because I had to go and get my granny uh, cardigan and some sheepskin boots on because my house is freezing because as I record this in the UK, it's winter. But why don't we just start off with both of you, you can just introduce yourselves and tell the listeners whereabouts you are in the world. Okay, well, I'm Joanna Tate and I'm in Abu Dhabi. And what kind of work do you do, Joanna? So I'm a residential valuer for Colliers. We're in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, but we're all over the world, obviously, but we're based in, we have our head office is in Dubai and I'm, um, I'm a man in Abu Dhabi, as it were. So that's, uh, I've been in Abu Dhabi for 13 and a half, nearly 14 years now. I've got so many questions I want to ask you about <laughs> being over there, but I'll, I'll uh, Clementine. So my name's Clementine and I'm based in Dubai. So I've been in the Middle East for nine years and I cover Kuwait and the UAE for Savills, purely on, on a kind of cross-border residential front. So mostly working with private families, helping them secure residential assets anywhere out with the Gulf. So that tends to be a focus on London, but I can help um, and do help anywhere kind of within the Sevils network. So I find it fascinating that at some point in your career, you decided to up sticks, leave the UK, move to, to another part of the world. How did that come about? I mean, for me, and, and I guess in part, maybe my age, maybe my naivety as to where I grew up. I mean, for me, moving from Wales to England at the time was a big thing. <laughs> I mean, I've got to sound so old now and I'm not that old. But I remember when I, I left, it was the first time I'd driven on a motorway to get, you know, to go into travel over to England. But it just never occurred to me to move to a different part of the world. So tell me about, for both of you, how did that come about? Well, for me... I came here with my uh, now ex-husband and he had been in the Navy with, uh, you know, I've been married to the Royal Navy for quite a few years. And so we had moved around a lot and I always liked moving. I really enjoy, I would get 18 months into a posting. If we hadn't moved, I would get really itchy feet. I was ready to get. And then it's, um, we had been in the Netherlands and then we got posted back to, uh, fleet headquarters and then he decided that he it was time for a change really so he left the navy and we had three options we could either come here or we could go to Adelaide in Australia or we could go to Bristol so we decided to come here (laughs) and at first I was you know you want me to go where 
I didn't even know where it was, but, you know, when we go where and do what. So everyone kept telling me, no, it's really, really nice. It's really, really nice there. Because actually the military have, um, I don't know if they still do, but it was an R&R, a rest and relaxation between here and the girls. They would come and spend time here and spend it here. So a lot of the people, you know, that we knew from the Navy would, had, had been here and they would say how nice it was. So I said, okay, then. Um, I'm up for that. So we came out here, we came on a recce, came and had a look and it was totally not like I thought it was going to be at all. And it was, it was just super, it's just super nice here. It was, I mean, when I came here 13 and a half years ago, I mean, I've seen so many changes since then. I think there were four speed cameras and, you know, three of those didn't work. So (laughs) that's how it was back in those days. And then I, um, so that was me. That's how I got here. And then after about five months, I would, I got a little bit bored. So I thought, what can I do? So I got into uh, real estate. So into leasing at the time. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I found that I was quite good at it. So that was the start of it. And then it's only since 2015, I started doing my degree with the University College of Estate Management at Reading, so online. So while I was working, and then from there I progressed into um, valuation. Cool. What about you, Clementine? So I came initially. My husband and my boyfriend, his dad, had been here since 1985, and he took me on a strategically placed holiday across the Dubai Rugby Sevens weekend. Um, so I thought Dubai was the best place on earth. And then actually, I applied for an internship. Uh, with the company worked with previously, and they called me on the Wednesday. I accepted the job on the Friday, and I moved on the Sunday. So it was a really, really quick turnaround, and I think that was good. I didn't have too much time to kind of question what I was doing. Uh, my brother drove me to the airport, gave me some dirhams. But yeah, I came for probably two years, and I've yeah, so I've, I've since got married to my husband we've had a baby we've got a dog and we have just bought our first home so we are fully settled in yeah so what if I, did you not feel worried about about moving to another country I mean Joanna you said it felt like it was the I guess sort of with moving around a lot that you sort of built some confidence with being in different countries and and I mean I think it's fair to say I'm giving you the kind of hallmark version yeah, it's been massively difficult at times. My job also involves, so whilst I now just cover Kuwait and the UAE, I have spent time kind of all around the Gulf, Saudi, back when you still had to wear a buyers, you know, you'd change on the aeroplane, you know, to make sure that you were fully covered when you land. Um, I've been to Egypt, you know, where your car gets bomb searched as you go into the hotel. So whilst the long and short of it is that I love it here, it's definitely challenging acclimatizing to a completely different way of living and working and even just traveling within the region has felt really alien at some time but I think one thing that um, residents of this part of the world are known for is hospitality and I think certainly the locals that I interact with are hugely hospitable and I've been lucky to work for two British firms who again have made sure from a kind of HR point of view that settling into the region you know that they can try and kind of facilitate that to feel a bit more comfy. Yeah, I can see that would be absolutely critical, wouldn't it? That you feel supported and not alone, I guess, dealing with a whole new culture, which could be quite different for many people. 
tell me a bit about you both mentioned that you work in residential in some way shape or form tell me a bit about what that looks and and feels like because I guess buildings are here's me and my stupid questions now buildings are very different in your part of the world compared to here in the UK how does the residential I mean I guess you don't have home buyer surveys and things like that there or do you how does it operate how does it work there's no home buyer surveys I think the real estate market here, certainly for expatriates who are the bulk of the population here, I think 80% expat, 20% Emirati. So certainly like in Abu Dhabi, for example, expats have only been able to buy their own homes since 2000. They changed the law in 2006, I think. But the first buildings were not ready for occupation until about 20 12. So it's still quite new. It's still quite immature in terms of when you compare it to somewhere like UK, where you've got houses going back hundreds of years. But so, so, um, so sorry, so where were they living before then? Just like rented accommodation? Yes, so that you still had, I mean, when I came here, a traditional like Arabic house, if you like, would have a kitchen in the garden, would that would be outside. And when I came here in 2008, they just started building more sort of Western style houses. I think maybe in Dubai a little bit longer than that. But because it's still so new, really building surveying in terms of home surveys and things like that. I don't know anyone who's had a a building survey when they bought a property here and they will spend millions (laughs) here and not have a survey um, on them. But like everything else, I expect that will change. I expect the banks will start saying, you know, implementing it in time. But when you've, when the majority of your buildings are only, or the majority of your properties are only, what, eight, ten years old, that's how young it, most of the sort of sale and purchase, you know, homes, that's how young they are. So we haven't, yeah, we've not got there yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I guess you they haven't encountered the problems. I mean, the, the UK the new build market is notorious for poor quality. Well, I've just I've just um, bought a house. Well, I mean, the purchase of buying another house, which is a Bovis home. So I have to arrange a survey just to make sure it's going to last longer than it's warranty. <laughs> I can say that. Wow, wow so Bovis build homes in yeah down in Somerset oh right okay I thought Bovis were operating in there would be some real problems <laughs> well if yeah, you need a surveyor so, if you need a surveyor you know we can reach out and I can connect you, <laughs> you with them. <laughs> so how does it work then so you've got the equivalent of a developer or a builder who builds a, a new home for somebody is there the equivalent of a kind of building control sign off that kind of thing or so, yes everything so yes we have um we have green certification in Abu Dhabi we have our own SD Dharma which is the Arabic for sustainability and all new properties whether it's one single villa whether it's a villa compound whether it's an 80 story building they all have to pass the SD Dharma certification and have achieved at least one pearl rating it goes from one to five so we have in Abu Dhabi in Dubai they don't have their own but in Abu Dhabi we do and of course 
but naturally there is a building code. Everything has to get signed off by the municipality. Um, yes, of course. But when, when your house is ready or your apartment is ready, then you'll go along, you'll do the snagging on it, everything gets fixed that you've outlined. And then uh, that's it, you take handover, move in. I think Dubai. And there's an ELP for a year. I think Dubai, um, it's fair to say, is a, is a slightly more mature um, market than Abu Dhabi. You've been able to buy as an expat for a longer time. We have more established residential communities, maybe on a slightly kind of more American model. So communities of up to 5,000 homes with schools, medical centres, markets, and then smaller homes all the way up to kind of mansions. And we have an authority called RERA, which is Real Estate Regulation Agency. And that's a big kind of infrastructure of everything from... Uh, inspection, building quality, as well as instead of stamp duty, we pay something called a Dubai land apartment fee. So that's kind of a fee to the government to transact your property from one owner to the other. Um, and so Dubai is really varied. We do have parts of Dubai where you can't buy as an expatriate. Normally the kind of beachfront that runs from Dubai Marina all the way to Dubai downtown, that beachfront can only be owned by uh, Emirati families which I actually really respect. I think that's awesome. You know, it's really, really beautiful prime real estate, a really interesting mix of, of architecture types along there. But yeah, so, so Dubai run, runs a little bit differently to Abu Dhabi. And that's another challenge we have is, is speaking confidently and knowing the idiosyncrasies between your markets, mm. because you might be dealing with wealth or you might be dealing with uh, purchases, buyers or clients you know, from different parts of the Gulf. And, and it's really important that you ultimately understand the differences. Perhaps someone's had an experience in Abu Dhabi and they're concerned about that, you know, or how will their experience manifest in Dubai. And so it is important to make sure that you kind of understand the, the buying rules and the, the transaction differences between each area. That's really interesting because in many ways, it's not a million miles away from the UK where you've got small coastal towns down in Devon and Cornwall, you know, where everybody's building a second home and the locals can't find somewhere to, to buy. So it's just inter it, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, they've obviously tackled it in a different way, but that's, I think you said 80% expat. That's a huge number, isn't it? To, um, yes. Yeah. And in, you know, in Abu Dhabi, so it's similar to Dubai. In Abu Dhabi, expats can only buy in certain areas, which they call the investment zones. And they, they're expanding getting bigger and bigger so Abu Dhabi is actually like 200 islands not all of them are connected but so the main Abu Dhabi center if you like is one whole island and you can't buy there expats cannot buy there but we can buy around and about so like where I live expats can buy I live on an island as well and I live near the sea it's the beaches I can see from my window and expats can buy here and a number of places so it's it is growing it's getting bigger and uh, definitely bigger yeah <laughs> but it's interesting you know we were sort of building a lot of apartments a lot of apartments and now we're building more houses here certainly in Abu Dhabi and we don't have in Abu Dhabi we I think we're just a bit more um conserv conservative not restrained I think more a bit more than Dubai we don't um Dubai builds a lot more than we do in Abu Dhabi. But we have land department, same as Rira, we have our own land, land department and we pay 
we don't have stamp duty the same. But it's uh, interestingly enough, we have two separate real sort of real estate rules and way of transferring property. So Dubai has their system and Abu Dhabi uh, we have our system which are similar but they're not exactly exactly the same so like when I'm doing valuations when we go to when I go to Dubai I have to remember certain things certain details that I have to collect um, that we don't do in Abu Dhabi so <laughs> and you only have to forget those a couple of times because I've done that a couple of times and have to go back and get them in makes you remember but um it's the two even though we're in the same country and we're just an hour apart the two are can be have some subtle differences I remember you um the first time I sort of came across you Joanna you you joined one of my um surveyors get visible little sessions yeah but you'd, I remember you'd posted on LinkedIn that I think you'd had a long drive and you'd been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast <laughs> and it was this amazing picture of blue skies and palm trees and and then I noticed <laughs> that you were in a different part of the world and it made me laugh because I thought oh, somebody around the world is listening to me but it was quite funny for a while because last year so I track the you know the number of downloads people who listen uh, to the podcast and we were number one in the chart in Nepal. But I don't know how long. <laughs> and I was thinking, who, who's in Nepal? Uh, so if, you, if you're that one surveyor in Nepal who's binge listening to these, thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, but it, but it was a, it was a lovely picture. But I, I know you said you and you both said you travel quite a bit to do your work. So yeah, I can understand the the rules in different places. The, you know, sort of different customs, different ways of doing things, interacting with different people. That's going to play a key part, really, I guess, to what you do and getting things getting things done and and achieved so we've talked a little bit about the construction and I guess that's going to change going forward as you know if it's if it's a lot of new build then there'll be problems or not that that develop different ways of um of doing surveys or or not in the uh, in the future but let me ask you about the whole uh, covid period because you mentioned there that now in I think Abu Dhabi they're building more houses and I know certainly over here in the UK, there's been a real think over the number of flats that we've got and uh, the accessible space people have. And I don't know, I think it was a bit different. I think you were quite on the ball over there with for various uh, reasons. Whereas here, you know, people were stuck and restricted to the small flats that they live in and, and not allowed to leave or only allowed to leave for a, an hour a day at one point. And so it's uh, we're just starting to see, but you know it is affecting value on you know has a has it got a balcony? You know does it have access? A property have access to outside space? Is it in a, a nice area? And you're starting to see that you know affects valuation. And we'd like to see more homes built. And yes, they may be baby bovis or whatever. But we're starting to see that dynamic. But how was it over there for both of you? COVID itself was. For me, it was absolutely fine. I mean, I'm used to working from home anyway. I've worked from home since forever. So there was really no change then. Abu Dhabi closed its borders with Dubai, interestingly, because we only neighbour with Dubai, whereas Dubai neighbours with other Northern Emirates. I mean, even now, we still wear masks. If you go outside, you have to have masks on. PCR testing was quite strict. And we got tested a lot. We did an awful lot of testing, but we were still 
we were still quite free to roam around and we didn't have, we were only in the beginning, we had to curfew in the evening when they were disinfecting the roads and doing all this. I think Dubai, I don't know, Clementine, you remember you had, it was much stricter in Dubai in the beginning, but then Dubai opened up earlier than Abu Dhabi. But work carried on exactly the same. You know, you just had, in the beginning, you had gloves on. I think one time I had to get, suited and booted like I was you know beekeeper but um apart from that it was fine and apart from not being able to I think if you didn't leave Abu Dhabi you were absolutely fine but uh that was it just restrictions uh flying because Abu Dhabi we didn't allow flights we only allowed residents to fly in up until even December last year it was only changed that we allowed other nationalities in and even then we tagged uh, people had to have like a wristband thing for a certain number of days and quarantine. But apart from that, it's been absolutely, absolutely fine here. And yes, we're building more villas now. And I don't necessarily think that was in relation to COVID. That might have been on the plan anyway. I think COVID has probably pushed it forward mm. a bit more. And then when I did my dissertation in 2019, I did like a survey and a lot of people in the survey said that they wanted they wanted to buy houses, even single people wanted to buy houses and we were building, you know, apartments. So even before COVID, people, there was a need, a demand for houses. So I don't necessarily think COVID has changed why we're building houses. It might just have, you know, given a bit more of an, of an urgency. But um, COVID's been, actually, it's been absolutely fine. The, the government, everyone here has handled it so well. It's been so well done. We've all been vaccinated, some of us four times. It's been amazing. So much testing. They've really kept up to it. It's been easy to test. And, you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, I think. <laughs> what about you, Clementine? So we actually had a really different experience in terms of my line of work so when COVID hit kind of April 2020 my main focus is cross-border and a lot of that is getting to meet these private families so being grounded meant that historically what was a a purely face-to-face business you know and I'd be on a plane every other week you know that ground to a complete halt and secondly it felt really insensitive to be calling people and asking them you know if they wanted to buy a home during a you know a global pandemic and I think I don't deal at the end of the market I deal at the want end of the market so traditionally transacting kind of with a minimum price tag of about a million pounds all the way up to say 30 million pounds and these aren't people that you know that are that need to make a decision now it's all about relationship building nurturing and so to not be on a plane and not really also feel like you can be interacting with people as you had been meant you know we we were really worried for a while. Firstly, because if our job doesn't require being on a plane, then is our service line necessary in the Middle East, which was a bit uncomfortable. You know, but secondly, you know, a lot of our job is is I guess being kind of personable and and really I've said it, you know, building those relationships. And if you feel that you can't sit in front of these people and you can't transact, then again, it's really tough to kind of feel that you're seeing your suffering, that you deserve your seat. We've definitely had to adapt how we've worked. 
And I would have said that luckily 2019, the back end of 2019 was a phenomenal year for us. And those fees really kind of carried us you know, through the first half of 2020, which was pretty much non-existent. Luckily, I think nothing like spending a summer in 45 degrees make you realise that you do need a home and that you will travel. So actually now we we have recovered, you know, somewhat in 2021. I mean, twofold. Our business was historically driven by people looking for safe havens. I would say that developers have, you know, been a bit more dynamic with some of the, the building layouts, some of the apartment layouts and some of the house layouts. So incorporating work from home spaces or perhaps studies that double up as, you know, maybe children's bedrooms or offices, and they're willing to kind of, for a small fee, build in some custom joinery that that lends itself to that change of space. But yeah, it, it has been a pretty challenging couple of years for us. Yeah, so that certainly wasn't business as usual for us. It's all resilience building. For sure. You know, when, we, when, we, when we look back now, and I think there's so many of us I've had different experiences. I mean, Joanna, you talked about, you know, having to have a full suit on. We did a podcast at the start. Well, we did a couple, actually, one at the start, one sort of midway through for, you know, how do surveyors feel about... So in so in the UK, it was very much about need and keeping the, the housing market going. And it was... We weren't key workers on the residential side, but it was, uh, you know, keep got to keep keep going. But that British spirit, you know, keep, keep going. <laughs> But it's quite a scary thing, you know, particularly when a lot of surveyors are middle-aged men and at the time were high-risk categories, if you like, having to put all the gear on, going into houses. Quite a scary time mentally. You know, there were some who weren't bothered. There were some, you know, different on, on different scales, naturally. But quite a scary thing. And, and we, within the community, we talk a lot about that. And I think it's important to, to air that and to say, this feels a bit scary, not just inspecting properties, but worried about our work, our jobs, you know, the value that we add as surveyors and, and help people and a real opportunity, I guess, to not to rethink what we do, but to really understand the value that we add, you know, and, and what will what will go in the future and what will will stay. But you're right about relationships and the way that we now interact, you know, Zoom is much more acceptable, mm. the way that we talk to people. And that's not just you know, cross borders, the way that the way that you're working, but also for the, you know, I always think about the, the surveyor who, who works for himself on a wet Tuesday in Margate in the UK, you know, and, and how that person interacts. And, uh, and I think there's so much. And I do think a couple of years time, you know, some clever person will write a book about all the things that we've learned in business and in real estate and I want to zoom forward <laughs> to see what that that what that might be. You talked about um, sort of the, the changes that are being made, and, and as we record this, we've got COP twenty six on at the moment in Glasgow, and so there's lots of talk about climate and sustainability. What's that like over in your part of the world? Is it something people talk about or not? Is it something that you know? Is is it a thing or not? I mean, I've got a bit of a front row seat to this. My husband's at. COP26 now and actually works in the renewable sphere. So probably the amount I overhear at home, I would say actually they're going through a massive sustainability push. Actually on the larger scale things, so I'd say things like recycling and plastic straws, you know, you can still get a plastic straw at every restaurant. Recycling isn't really that big, but actually the kind of 
larger scale things like trying to make whole buildings solar sufficient, you know, energy sufficient, you know, massive, you know, desalination projects to try and utilize seawater as opposed to kind of fresh water where that isn't a natural resource here. I, I would say that I think, you know, Dubai is is doing a phenomenal job. But I'm not sure, you know, I still definitely think there's there's room for improvement on the kind of day-to-day things. We're just a little bit behind the UK still on that. What about in Abu Dhabi, Joanna? Well, in Abu Dhabi, like I said, we have this sort of green certification on our buildings and we're trying to, they're, they're very much trying to get that more out into the public domain and get people more aware of differences in buildings. And the banks now have started to ask us about the differences in buildings and the power ratings. And actually now in all of my valuation reports, and I don't see other people's valuation reports, obviously, so I don't know if they're doing it. I don't think they are. But now, in all of my valuation reports, I put in the how many pearls each building has it, or villa, whatever it happens to be, a compound has achieved, as far as we know it. So, and that information, I was talking to a guy from the Estama um, department. They're trying to make it public because that isn't public at the moment. And we don't have energy ratings or anything like to do in the UK so it is coming and I think like Clementine says it's going to come in a big way they're doing a lot with renewables I mean we have all of this sun shine we should be making you know doing a lot with that the problem that we also have though is sand and sand causes dust and that's the problem with solar panels is that I know there's there I think they've, they've got a big testing site somewhere where they're sort of trying to test different panels and see which ones you know are the least dusty because that's the problem that we we don't have the problem with the sunshine obviously we don't have a problem with dust so um, but I think um, we see it, there's a lot of sort of electrical charging points you find now in the buildings are being built or or the basement garages are being you know parking areas are being converted with electrical charging points so it will it is changing most definitely there's a big push but it is probably a a bit slower I would say probably than the UK just needs a bit more yeah you know I I guess really it all comes down to money and as, as individuals, we, we can vote with every pound that we spend to make a difference. But it also then comes back to the lenders as to whether they're committed to lending on things that are sustainable, you know, tick all the climate boxes. And that change, you know, money drives all of uh, a lot of those decisions. But it's interesting, you know, and I think this is where we can learn from different parts of the world. You know, in the UK, we've got the energy performance certificates, the EPCs, and I hear so many pros and cons about it. I remember when they first came out and um, it was my first month of working in a complaints department. And um, I had a a lady who said she worked with the government in some department and she talked about it being mathematical nonsense (laughs) because it was, and and she was right in a way. I think it was something to do with a, a heat pump and a boiler and and there's there's something like if you change your light bulbs to more energy efficient light bulbs, it takes into account the heat a light bulb would generate and it put the boiler costs up or or something like that. But it's always a, you know, here in the UK, they've got like a standard form, a standard checks that are done. But there's such a variety of different housing here in the UK that there's, there's, you know, the majority is always going to fall short. But what it does do, 
is it lets it focuses the mind on energy efficiency and how are we using buildings and and all of those things and the conscious decisions that we that we make and i think the more that we we just put that in the mind of the consumer or at least signposts so you know so for joanna and your or your reports even just mentioning these these ratings and it's a thing it, it starts to change and here in the uk there's been a lot of uh, a lot on the news about heat source heat source pumps so yeah. replacing getting rid of gas boilers and having these heat source pumps you know bolted to the side of your house yeah. and at the moment it's expensive it's impractical not everybody can you know has the outside space to stick it on um, i saw one on a program and i just thought that is ripe for being robbed <laughs> someone's <laughs> going to nick that you know and there'll be there'll be a black market for, for these pumps you know but at least it's at least it's raising the awareness but also for us as surveyors there are things that we can do you talked about valuation i'm interested to learn how does valuation work over in that part of the world so if you're buying a property how does that work well i i should imagine it works pretty much the same as the uk i mean most of the valuations that i do the majority of them are for secured lending and so we will go same as the uk we'll go and inspect property uh, you know take some photos measurements if we need to get some comparables and that I mean comparable evidence that's one quite big difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi whereas Dubai has the land department and they make public the registers it's limited information but there is information you can see you know that something sold what the size was when it sold and how much it sold for in a certain you know in a building or an area or whatever whereas in Abu Dhabi you can't there are no public registers. You have to use your network and find. It can be quite tricky, especially for local local villas, more so than in the investment zones. Finding comparable evidence is a great skill, <laughs> yeah, indeed. But other than that, no, I think it almost certainly works exactly the same as the UK. I mean, we don't have here the sort of all the different types of buildings that you have in the UK, obviously, because it's still that much newer here. But um, no, I think valuation generally just works. And I guess it's following the Red Book. Yeah. And for a lot of valuers in the UK, they'll read one particular section, but the Red Book obviously is global. Exactly, global yeah. standards that, yeah. Yeah, so we follow exactly the same. I think... I know buying this house in the UK, the most exciting bit for me is to see the valuation report. I don't even know if the, the building society will share it. I've asked them, but so I just want to see it, see what it looks like, see how it compares with mine. I'm sorry to say you probably won't be blown away. I, I guess that's because in, in the UK now, you're right, a lot of lenders and building societies don't share the valuation report with the customer yeah. to the point where if it meets the lending criteria, they'll just say, yes, you can borrow the money. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and so it takes that focus away, which would be quite interesting for, for the consumers on, you know, what property is actually worth at the end of the day. But so much of it is streamlined now. And but in our mindset, it's very much an expectation of this is a survey with some meaty information. And it's not. It's a piece of paper that generally says, yes, it, it exists. <laughs> It doesn't look like it's going to fall down. It looks like it will continue to be there for a bit longer. Therefore, we'll tick, we'll we'll lend on it. So, it. well, interestingly, um, I know that when the value returned, because obviously I wasn't there, 
But I know, you know, when the value were turned up, they said that they take five photos. They do, you know, one of the front, one of the back, one of the garden, the kitchen and a bathroom. Whereas when I do my valuations, I go completely all the way through the house. I take pictures of everything. I can value a one bedroom apartment and have 30 photos. (laughs) And I'm all about the views. But I guess that's also about the, the value. And it sounds like you're both dealing with higher value property than in the well, UK. Um, for me personally, it's a lot to do because I have a bad memory, so I forget <laughs> what I saw. But um, obviously, some uh, you know, if you're valuing somewhere like the Palm, which I I do as well, those villas are very bespoke, and like Clementine said before, a lot of um, villas like that um, will get you know altered. You know, they'll be renovated and they'll be everything will be changed it'll be extended and things walls moved and all this kind of jazz so yeah I just like taking the photos really it's the fun bit <laughs> just get a bit, get a bit click happy <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> can, I, can I ask you both about it's lovely to meet two female surveyors and I love having these these conversations and getting to know my my female network do you know many of the female surveyors in your part of the world do you connect with others and do you need to be surveyors to do your work? Do you need, you know, what does RICS membership mean? Because in a lot of places you you don't, you can do the work, you know, but you don't necessarily need it. I think that goes back to you know, when I was talking about what can we, if we're not going to be getting on a plane so much, do you know, what is the value offering that, that we can do by being here as opposed to if we're selling in the UK that they wouldn't kind of cut us out and go directly to the UK? So one of which was um, I started learning Arabic and that's really kind of been a key differentiator in terms of connecting with my network but also I have have gone down the path of of RICS so it started with my associate Ricks and I'm I'm doing my MRICS now and I I came to that later in life it wasn't it's not really necessary in my job um, on the residential transactional side but it was how can I kind of set myself apart from the competition you know and, and for me that was right having global standard that says I'm more ethical I'm more trained I have more integrity you know I'm bound by kind of the rules or the box of the RICS that that's how I can move in and I think it's giving the people that I work with probably more confidence particularly as they're beginning to do things like buy blind you know by having that attached to my name I think it's just a kind of standard but I do to, to answer your first question I think Joanna would definitely agree there aren't many female surveyors out here I mean, there are there are a few, but I would say that whilst my company in the Middle East, whilst Savills is 50% males and females on the board out here, actually we've got a female head of uh, marketing and business development, so that isn't necessary. Our head of accounting is female, so again, that isn't necessary. Our head of HR. So um, there's definitely lots of strong women, I feel, within the industry, but perhaps not on the purely real estate side real estate side so within the kind of HR function within the marketing function do you know know, within different functions that help big global businesses run but not necessarily within the exact real estate sector and those role models are really important even if they're in a, a slightly different field we just don't have the role models in the same way that men do but it is changing even in my lifetime at the rusty old age of 46 I, I see that changing and and that's inspiring you know yeah just, I definitely uh, think it's changing I'm actually on maternity leave at the moment and the support that I've had particularly from the female network within my business has been phenomenal I think really reassuring me that it's okay to kind of 
still want to work, but mother and, and also my mother, more maternity. I think I'm sure that, that that doesn't mean I'm less committed to my role, but that, you know, it is what it is and it's an exciting time. So I doubt, and I've noticed that change even in the time that I've been out here. I think um, Dubai kind of is still, from an HR point of view, not massive on diversity and inclusion. It's um, a little, I mean, I would say it's almost 20 years behind, perhaps. You know, we get 45 days maternity leave as standard here, which is 45 calendar days, just six weeks. You know, there aren't any. Um, there's a push for emiratization, which is the hiring of locals, which I think is fabulous to ensure that the kind of local talent is retained. But there isn't a push perhaps on on gender. Again, we've got massive pay disparity here between um, nationalities and things like that, that that are, you know, that certainly need looked at. So from that point of view, um, I would say we've still got a way to go. And I would love to see the RAS actually stand up and be a bit more you know, be a bit more vocal on those those subjects. And I also would love, COVID definitely you know, has slowed things down, but I would love to see you know, more events for young surveyors, for female surveyors, you know, I think perhaps more of a kind of social RACSC. I, I don't think there's a massive one here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What about you, Joanna? I think I'm the only, certainly in our team, I'm the only woman. There were two of us. But uh, Sophie went back, she'd been here for six years and she went back to the US. I do know a few women surveyors here, but I, to be honest, I don't know that many. I, I don't actually know that many surveyors altogether, really. I know uh, um, a few in Abu Dhabi. And I think before COVID, there was a lot more networking that went on. And since COVID, you know, there hasn't been any. And it sort of, you know, we need to probably start that up mm-hmm. again. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, in many ways, you don't need another woman surveyor around. <laughs> you know, it's nice to know it changes the dynamic, depends on the team, the kind of, you know, the, the people that you're working with. Um, in some ways, it'll make a difference. In some way, it's not. But when it comes to things like, you know, nav- for example, navigating maternity, you know, it's just good to know that there is someone else who has gone through that experience. Or if you hit a particular a ceiling in your career you know and need that support it's just good to know that there are people out there that you can speak to and that's where where role models are so important and you're both role models right now in your part of the world and never underestimate the difference that you can make to someone else coming in I always say this to all the women you're, you're all a role model just by existing and, and from what you've learned but when I did the the women in surveying summit a number of years ago now you know, I talk about women in surveying, it is not a group or organisation. In the UK, there are something like 76 different women's groups or memberships that you could join. We do not need another one. But what I learned is just the power that of knowing that there are other women that you can reach out to who get it, think in a similar way, if you like, in terms of the way we view the built environment, the way that we work, you know, our logical or not logical brains when it comes to valuation, etc., it's just powerful to know that. And it doesn't have to be anything more than that sometimes. I agree. I think there's more that, that can be done. I'd love to see our ICS do more to support women as much as other diverse groups as well. But, you know, if we're going to change the 15% of members who are just 15%, it was it was 10 when I started out. You know, it needs to be something positive done. But it's always a balance. It's always a, a debate. But my view is we just need to start 
And having little conversations like this about finding out what you do in different parts of the world will inspire other people. And you never know, we may have a few more people emigrating <laughs> the cold UK to get rid of the, get away from these heat source, uh, uh, heat source pumps <laughs> to come and join you, you know. And, and it's just a start. And just like in, you know, you were talking about in your valuation reports, you know, adding the little ratings, it just signposts. And and that's the kind of thing that then starts to inspire people and, and points people in a different direction. It doesn't have to be a whole mentoring program or circle or or whatever. You know, you just, there's a quote by a former tennis player called Arthur Ashe, and I, I use it all the time. And he says, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And on that Ooh, note, ladies, that. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, you just being on this conversation with me, I know will have inspired others. So thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website, lovesurveying.com. And don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate, review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform. It really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do. See you next time.